good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Skywalk Podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and if you didn't listen to the previous episodes, I would recommend you check those out as well, maybe even before listening to this one. Uh, Before we get going, there is a couple things I want to talk about. So first off, this audio might sound a little different than the last five episodes, so let me know how it is. I'm testing out a new software for recording Previously, here's a little peek behind the curtain again. Previously, I've been using OBS and just like kind of recording it through there and having to isolate the audio from the video and then throwing it into like Premiere or something and doing it really messily that way. Now I'm trying to use Adobe Audition and just do it straight into the software and edit it right in there. So hopefully it actually works out better. But because of that, I had to use I trying to find all these new settings and whatnot. So it's going to be a little bit of time for me to like tweak and uh, find the right settings, if you will. So bear with me. I'm going to try to do my best. If it's way too bad, then let me know and I can just straight up. I'll just get rid of it and I'll go back to what I was doing before. But hopefully it works out OK. Also, I want to apologize for the delay in the previous episode and possibly this one. I don't know when it will be going out. Hopefully it will be going out roughly the same time as I'm recording it. School just started up, uh, I guess, two weeks ago now. And so everything has been real crazy and stressful, you know, trying to get my life sorted up uh, and all that kind of stuff. I cannot promise anything, but I will try my best to continue the flow of episodes the best I can uh, now that I have the first couple weeks out of the way. Before we start up, I just want to say I'm proud of us for getting through that last patch of globular star clusters. This is indeed a new type of object, so be excited. I know I am. In the future, I think I'm going to try and kind of like group uh, those globs together into one episode because chances are nobody's ever heard of some random Messier 60 something globular cluster that really has nothing not like significant about it besides the fact that it's a glob and in the catalog so when we get those other patches of globs i'm going to try to just like mash them all together talk about them generally and then just kind of go from there maybe talk about any important things that they have but that way we can get through multiple of them in one episode and we don't have to try to bore ourselves with individual episodes like i previously did so i appreciate you guys taking through it this is a different uh a different object and so we're going to be going through it soon of course we have to do the housekeeping stuff which i'm gonna slowly try to get rid of a little bit so welcome everyone my name is gavin your host for this podcast and also the lead creator and host for two other podcasts a youtube channel and accompanying social medias my other podcasts are dicing card where i review and take you guys through playing different board and card games some of which have been sent in graciously by some companies themselves and actually, I just uh, I just got a deal with another company for them to send me a product as well. That will be later in the year. But don't worry, there will be other episodes in between then. But I just wanted to let you guys know that I did find another company who is graciously willing to send me another game. My other one is the Hot Cocoa Chats podcast, which is just a script-free chatting podcast with a guest, which, again, I'm hopefully going to start up again soon. I just... It's that one's the harder of the stuff that I do to run. My YouTube channel is called Zombified. That's Z-O-M-B-E-F-I-E-D. So make sure you guys go check out all that content. 
And now for the world of space, our space update for this week, for this, yeah, for this week. So the new moon is on September 6th, which is actually Labor Day Monday. For those that don't know, a new moon is when there is no illumination from the moon. Basically, you're not going to find it in the sky. There are all the different moon phases, you know, the most widely known is probably the full moon. The new moon happens when the moon is in between the sun and earth. So there is no illumination of the moon on the side that we see because the sun is shining on the side that's facing the sun. And so we just see this kind of blackness. I could honestly make an entire episode just on the moon, quite honestly, because it's just way too cool. And there's so just it's so fascinating of an object. Uh, if that's something you guys are interested in, let me know and I'll make the episode sooner than later, because I plan to do an episode on the moon in general. But if you guys are really eager about that, I'll make it I'll make it soon. And then also having a new moon this week means that there are a ton of great viewing. Weather permitting, of course, because the weather is always the worst thing in astronomy. So speaking of viewing, it is indeed September, guys. That means we're out of summer, getting into fall and soon enough winter skies. Because of this, we are starting to get some of the more famous objects that come with those later in the year skies. Just last night, actually, I was at the observatory. And when we were closing at, say, like, I don't know, I was up there 11 o'clock at night to midnight, uh, we saw the Pleiades. I won't talk much about them right now, though, because it is actually Messier 45. So the Seven Sisters, which is another name that they're known by, will get their own dedicated uh, episode. And that one will be juicy because the Pleiades is a hugely famous and historically known object dating back so long. So that will have some great cultural sections to it. But also, if you guys are an early riser, you will be able to just see Orion, the great hunter constellation, uh, emerging from the horizon at, I think it was like 2 or 3 a.m. that it's coming up nowadays. And so right before sunrise is basically when it comes up. So if you guys are, you know, up at 2 in the morning, go check out and look for Orion's belt, Orion constellation, which means there's also the Orion constellation and all the juicy deep sky stuff that goes along with Taurus and Orion. And then in general, there's also it's also a really great week for planet viewing because there's no there's no moon. It's going to be a very dark sky. So that means the planets are going to pop. They were just in opposition like no more than a month ago. So they're still very bright. Jupiter and Saturn will obviously be the blistering bright ones and easy to view ones in the sky but venus will be just getting low in the western sky as the sun is going down so you guys might also be able to see venus personally saturn is my favorite though and has been looking mm, mighty fine lately if i do say so myself so if you had to pick one i would suggest looking at saturn the rings oh they're tilted so perfectly that you can see the gap between the planet and the rings if you have a good telescope, you can even see the, I forget the name of it, but the division in the rings. Oh, it's just so good. So good. Before we get into Messier 6, make sure to follow along on Twitter at SkywalkPod, where I'll be posting graphics to go along with what you're listening to. And so you can get a better grasp of what I'm talking about without having to scour the internet on your own. If you're listening to this on YouTube, then the graphic that I will be posting on Twitter will be on the screen right now. So you guys don't have to go far for that one if you're listening to this on YouTube. 
All right, so let's go over the Messier and his objects real fast before we get into the object. As usual, we always go over Charles Messier. So Charles Messier was a French astronomer born June 26, 1730, as the 10th of 12 kids. As a young kid, Messier became fascinated with space objects after a few space events that happened in his town. At age 21, he joined the French Navy and would eventually begin working at an observatory in Paris. He continued his fascination in comets, eventually getting coined the nickname Comet Fair by King Louis XV. In 1758, he noticed a strange cloudy patch in the constellation Taurus while observing a comet and took note of it to help astronomers not mistaken it for a comet. And so he started cataloging these other comet-like, quote, objects to avoid. The object that he saw is actually now known as NGC, or New General Catalog, 1952, but would eventually become known as Messier 1, or just plain M1, which is how, again, we're going to be talking about our object today. Um, Messier 1 was also, is also known as the Crab Nebula, which was our first episode that we did, and it being in Taurus, it will be rising in the sky very shortly. We're almost uh, there where we can see the Crab Nebula, because it's more of a winter object. Messier died in 1817, and by then he had created a list of 103 objects, but the Messier catalog would be revised in the 20th century to be a total of 110. This is because afterwards, his assistants and other researchers followed up on his side notes, and so astronomers now believe that the list was actually a total of 110, not 103. Alright, that's the backstory and updates that you guys need as we embark on our journey through the stars. Hopefully everyone made it to this point, and if you are still conscious, then thank you. You're a cool person, and go get yourself a cookie for all your great work. And as always, star cookies get bonus points. Alright, enough chit-chat, let's get down to the nitty-gritty. So here we go, guys. Here we go. Messier 6 is great in other ways, but personally... I think it's great because it's not a globular star cluster. We're finally out of it, guys. We have an open star cluster. And um, Messier 7 is also an open star cluster, which we'll actually mention later on. And then Messier 8 is gonna be our first or is gonna be the Lagoon Nebula, which is such a famous object. So we're we're really getting into the juicy stuff now, guys. But no, in fact, it's actually what's known as an open star cluster. Messier 6 has also been coined the name the Butterfly Cluster. So if you hear me saying that, it means the same thing. Messier 6, Butterfly Cluster, all the same stuff. Originally, we believe that the cluster was first observed by the Greek astronomer Claudius Ptolemy in the 2nd century. Yes, Greeks now, guys, let's go! They think he noticed uh, Messier 6 when he was actually viewing uh, our next door neighbor, Messier 7, which is going to be the next episode, actually. Uh, and Messier 7 and Messier 6 are right next to each other, like within single digit arc minutes uh, to each other. So they're very close. The butterfly cluster was first recorded in 1654 by the Italian astronomer Giovanni Battista Hadirna. Yes, Hadirna. Again, this is there's so many people in this episode, and my pronunciation is just going to get real interesting, so this is going to be fun. Uh, but the man that is usually credited as the discoverer is, we talked about him just recently, Jean-Philippe Lloyd de Chizot in 1746. And then a French astronomer named Abe Nicolas Louis de Lacal included Messier 6 in his 1752 catalogue 
as LAC 3.12, stating, quote, Peculiar cluster of, star, of small stars disposed in three parallel bands, forming a lozenge of 20 to 25 diameter and hitched with nebulosity, end quote. Jean-Philippe described the object as a, quote, very fine star cluster, end quote. So that's how the different guys uh, kind of saw it. And then uh, in May 23, 1764, Charles Messier observed the cluster and added it to his catalog, noting, quote, a, a cluster of small stars between the box of Sagittarius and the tail of Scorpius. To the naked eye, this cluster seems to form a nebula without stars, but even with the smallest instrument one employs for investigation, one sees a cluster of small, faint stars. Brackets, diam.15 uh, degrees, and bracket, end, end quote. Finally, in 1959, Ake Wallenquist, a Swedish, a Swedish astronomer, identified roughly 80 stars in the cluster. Okay, so wow. That was, what, like seven different astronomers that were all part of the discovery of this object? It's a nice change from having our typical, like, two to three people that we keep hearing about in every single one of these episodes. That We have a ton of different people in this one. And actually, I think of the discoverers in this for Messier 6, we've only actually known about like two of them, like Charles Messier and Jean-Philippe Loy de Chazot. I think those are the only guys that we've heard about before. So very cool. So many new people that are getting into the mix of this. I love it. And we have possible knowledge from early Greek astronomers, which just makes me happy. I love when objects go back in time like that. It's so cool. History is just great. That's about it for our discovery. So how about we learn all about this new object, eh? So we've talked a lot about globular star clusters. So what exactly is an open cluster? These clusters have far fewer stars and live for far less than globs. Again, if you hear me say globs, that's just a short form, easier way of saying globular star cluster. So you just say glob. I always think of it that they are both star clusters, but the globular means that it is more kind of circular, uniform in shape versus open clusters that kind of do whatever they just feel like. Uh, just like how any star or star cluster is formed, these are created in the same big gas cloud. They're not as gravitationally bond together like globs are. They are more loosely floating near each other and can actually be influenced by other stars and space objects that get close to it. And with a right ascension of 17 hours, 40.1 minutes, and a declination of negative 32 degrees and 13 minutes, and a radius of roughly 6 light years, M6 can be found in the constellation Scorpius the Scorpion. So remember, we just talked about actually a uh, object, M4 being in Scorpius. This is the first time that we've repeated a constellation as a location, which is kind of cool. The butterfly cluster is on the opposite side of Scorpius than M4, though. Remember, M4 was kind of right next to Antares. Um, and, but this one is a little bit between Scorpius and Sagittarius. Just for a refresher, Scorpius has the bright red star Antares I just mentioned, 
and then the body kind of curls down and then the tail curls back up, just kind of like a scorp uh, scorpion's tail. Um, and this ends with the star Shaula. If we go straight up from Shaula, let's say like go up about the length of half of the body of the scorpion, um, but up from the star and then a bit to the left, that's roughly where it is. It's basically like it, it's almost directly right in between Sagittarius and Scorpius. It's really cool. It's right in between them. And it's right towards the cloud kind of main core of the Milky Way galaxy, which is, again, just really cool because I love anything to do with our galaxy in particular. As always, check out the Twitter to just see the images and get a better understanding of how it, it looks and where it's located. Uh, but towards Scorpius, M6 is just about 1600 light years away, which is very close, quite honestly. 1600 is not that far. But what does M6 actually look like? Like I mentioned before, open clusters have whatever shape they feel like. Uh, this is also where you start to learn how astronomers are either dead on with naming things or about as far left field as you can get with naming something. I give this one sort of a, eh, sort of the image uh, classification in that scale, which is unusual because like I said, usually nine times out of 10, it's either like one extreme or the other. There's not usually like a, and eh, you can sort of see it. It's usually it's there or it's not there. But this one is like sort of, and after looking at it longer, I can, I can kind of see it better. I actually saw like a upside down version of it and that looked better than how it is right side up. So I don't know. I'll, I'll give it closer to it's what they named it than not, but I still don't think it's dead on. Like the um, the owl cluster is so perfectly how the how the name is. And so how I'm going to describe this cluster as a density of stars that sort of make up like three loops. If you made an X or a cross shape, uh, then of kind of making like parallel perpendicular outline loop so don't fill in the cross or the x just kind of like do an outline of the shape if you did that and then got rid of one of the sides so that there's only three that's sort of how it looks i don't know any better way to describe it because again it's kind of weird but i guess sort of butterfly ish but less definition of the wings kind of just like body and then sticks off to the side ish on the left side of this cluster there's a particularly bright star too so um, I just figured I would note that and I'll actually talk about it later on. Depending on the image or your viewing, you might see some fainter yellow or blue gas nebulosity near the cluster, which one of the uh, old astronomers that discovered did actually mention that there was nebulosity. And so some photos are actually do have this kind of yellow and blue defined gas around it. But I don't know how else to, des to describe it really. So again, I'll direct you towards the Twitter images or YouTube. Look at the screen. M6 has an apparent magnitude of positive 4.2, which is very much in the realm of being visible to the naked eye with good weather in like, let's say, mediocre plus dark sky location. It won't take much to see this object. It's very bright. It's positive 4.2 which again, your, our eyes can see to positive six, so it's, it's good. 
Because of this, it's not difficult to see the object, but I would still recommend maybe just grabbing like a pair of binoculars or even a very small telescope just to be sure that you can see it if you're going out to look for it. Um, and even if you are in a brighter location, then those will become more apparent to need need for you to use. But this is the brightest object that we've actually talked about so far. The best time to see M6 will be during the summer because that's when Scorpius is highest in the sky for both southern latitudes and northern latitude viewers, depending on where you are, of course. Um, it will be kind of like if you're in the, the southern sky, it, I think it's actually like high in the sky. But in, if you're in the northern hemisphere like I am, my uh, latitude is 35 degrees. And so we see a little bit of the southern sky. And so Scorpius uh, comes up like just above the horizon, like a good amount above the horizon. But depending on trees and buildings, all that kind of stuff, it might get a little uh, obscured. But it is there and you can see it in the northern hemisphere. But the higher you go up, the less that you're going to see of it because it's kind of more towards the southern sky. It is now time for the culture or fun fact portion of our episode. I will mention that this will be not an overly long segment uh, because it is actually kind of hard to find information about this object, which was surprising because usually stuff that has their own dedicated name like butterfly cluster, that's a famous, more famous object than just random like M3. Like usually you would think that they would have more information, but I actually found less information on this than other objects. NASA doesn't even have a dedicated page for this object. All the previous Messier objects NASA had pages for, this one they just plain out didn't. And I don't understand that. Maybe it's because NASA's page usually has the Hubble telescope images and it might be maybe like too wide or too small a field for the Hubble. I don't know. But either way, I just thought it was kind of weird that the information was scarce, scarce, wow, on this object. I've seen a couple different numbers of how many stars are actually in this open cluster. So I'll say there's roughly around 100 to 300 stars, uh, but for sure just over 100. Most of these stars are hot blue stars, which means they are like much younger, brighter, like hotter stars. But the brightest star in the cluster is actually an orange giant star named BM Scorpii. And so this one will contrast heavily to the rest of the cluster because everything, all the other stars are blue stars. This one is orange. So it stands out like a sore thumb, not to mention it's the brightest. So it's kind of cool to have this like one contrasting star. And this is the one that I talked about earlier was on the like left side, depending on how you're viewing it. And so this star is a semi-regular variable star, which means uh, that those change their brightness every so often, remember? BM Scorpii ranges from a magnitude of positive 5.5 to positive 7.0. And I couldn't actually find how often it switches its variable, but usually it's not more than like say a month. Something interesting is that there are actually eight possible candidates for chemically peculiar stars. Uh, to find out what something in space is made out of, we do a thing called spectroscopy, which is looking at spectras, which is basically light. And so this is the process of using a spectrograph to break up the light that you are seeing into its components, the rainbow. So visible light is a rainbow 
there's obviously like infrared, microwave, all these other different wavelengths, but visible light in the waves is uh, this rainbow shape. And so a spectrograph breaks up a light that you're looking at into the rainbow spectra. And then you're looking in particular of what colors are dominant. So it'll break up the light into its component like elements, uh, like element lights, wavelengths, and then in particular, there will be certain ones that are brighter. Some you might not see at all, like you might see a particular band of red, one red, one blue, and then like a little small bit of green. And so that's that would be called a spectra. Each element has their own spectra. So basically, you can think of it kind of like a fingerprint. So you can look at these different objects like stars is probably the easiest one to look at. You look at a star and then you say, what does this break up into? And then you uh, compare that to our known knowledge of the spectras of the different elements. And then you can put together what the star is made out of and what it's burning. And so when we look at these chemically peculiar stars, astrophysicists notice that these stars are some of the hotter main sequence stars and have an unusual abundance of metals on their surface layers. Um, by the looks of it, we have some ideas of why this is happening, but there's nothing that seems to be certain that people can agree upon is the culprit for why there's this high concentration of metals. It's really odd. M6 is estimated at an age of around 100 million years old. In fact, this is pretty typical for open clusters since they're still currently forming objects. They're sometimes estimated up to a couple billion years old, but most are in the realm of millions. And so remember, compare this 100 million year old uh, object to that of a globular star cluster that can be estimated up to over like 13 plus billion years old, and then compare that to the universe being at 13.8 roughly billion years old. So these are in the hundreds of millions range. They are so young objects compared to other ones, to other like star clusters, you know. We still see these stellar nurseries and star forming regions today. So I can only imagine that some of these have enough matter to be creating these new type of cl open clusters that we speak of like lagoon or pillars of creation that are just spitting out new stars. Once all that gas is used up and it's just, it leaves all these stars there, it'll probably be considered a new open cluster unless they're close enough. Now there's not going to be enough to create globs, but there'll be hundreds of stars there that will all be kind of semi-gravitationally bonded to each other because if it's the same gas cloud, they're right next to each other, you know? So we're still seeing this kind of process happening. Obviously, we won't see the end product happening today because this process takes millions of years, but it is still happening. And so that is your guide into the famously known Messier 5 or the butterfly cluster. I've seen this cluster many, many times working at the observatory. It's one of the staple objects for our public viewing and is a reliable place in the sky for us to view, at least at this point in the year. So it's pretty standard that we're going to be showing the butterfly cluster or the wild duck cluster. Those are the two staple open clusters that we look at. It's honestly kind of not my most favorite object, 
but I would still take it over just again like some random globular cluster that nobody cares or talks about. So it's not bad, but it's just like I like high concentration of things. That's why I like globs because of hundreds of thousands of stars. I love galaxies because, well, trillions of stars, but galaxies are just cool in themselves. I love nebulas because of the different colors and shapes and weird gas formations that you get. And so open clusters aren't usually my most favorite objects, but they're still cool nonetheless. And so I, again, don't sort, don't totally see the butterfly. It's, I've seen one image that connected the dots, and again, it's like, yeah, sort of. You guys can be uh, the judge of that, though. But all in all, it is a solid object, and I always appreciate ones that are bright and close enough for us to see with the naked eye. It just makes things so much more fun when you don't have to use high-power telescopes or cameras, long exposures, anything like that. You can just go to a dark spot, dark sky location, look in that direction and it will be there. Or even if you're not in a bright spot or if you're in a bright spot or maybe it, like you're just having trouble, very basic binoculars or telescope, bam, it's right there and it will look really cool. Sometimes actually objects look better in like binoculars or more uh, basic telescopes just because it is how it is. I don't know how to describe it, but sometimes different uh, things, different instruments, I guess is the word, actually make objects look differently. So there you guys go, our first open cluster down. How does everyone feel? Do you prefer globs or open clusters? Let me know by leaving a comment or tweeting at me. I really want to know what you guys think because now we have objects to compare to each other. Now we're having some fun. And also let me know if you have ever seen the butterfly cluster because I would highly recommend going for it because of its like like it's so easy to see in the sky go for it go outside if you're in a dark spot go look at it if not i guess you can google it or look at my images but come on go look at it astronomy is great but thank you to all of you the audience for those that stuck through to the end of this you know something i haven't talked about of course is the twitter make sure to go check out at skywalk pod on twitter to see the images and everything that you need to know to stay up to date with this podcast also, don't forget, I have a new podcast episode that you should definitely go check out. The last episode is uh, the game Bears vs. Babies by Exploding Kins. That just came out. And I will hopefully be getting a new episode of uh, Dicing Cars out shortly. So go check that out and stay tuned for more. Not to mention, you can go check out my other podcast, Hot Cocoa Chats, in case you like unscripted banter between people for an hour. Lastly, don't forget to check out the YouTube channel Zombified for your gaming fix and for uh, extra life content that will be coming later in the year. All right, I'll get out of. Oh, actually, one one last thing I want to mention. I should have mentioned this at the top of the episode, but on my YouTube channel, uh, as of recording this, it's Saturday the fourth. So tomorrow is Sunday. I work earlier. I do like a daytime tours kind of shift at the observatory. So I will be going out. And I will be doing astrophotography hopefully tomorrow. And so I'm actually planning on making a video on it and posting it on my YouTube channel. So if you guys are interested on that, I already have great ideas of how I want to do it. It might take a little while for me to edit it because it's going to be a new type of uh, video for me to edit. I've never posted one of these on my YouTube before. So definitely go check it out and stay tuned, guys, because I'm really excited. But I'll keep you posted on this episode, on this podcast of when 
that episode comes out. All right, all right, I'll get out of your hair, rate five stars, comment, let me know how you guys liked it, and I will see you guys in another episode.